Hello and welcome to another episode of the League One Lowdown. I am your host, as ever, Matt Arms, and I will be talking you through today's podcast. As you know by now, I am joined by two guests who provide great opinions and always give uh, myself very much food for thought on every matter. Uh, having alongside <laughs> me is Joe and Alex. This week we are looking, we are back as a three following Alex's uh, absence from the last podcast uh, in the last episode. Uh, how are you gentlemen nonetheless? Yeah, hi Ozzy, I'm alright, thank you, good to be back. Enjoy that little saying there, food for thought. <laughs> I'm, de- I'm delighted you associate me with that. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right, mate. Was, yeah. Well, we have a lot to discuss on uh, today's podcast. We gave a little teaser on our Twitter page yesterday, saying that we were obviously recording for today. We've been very tight-lipped on what will be discussed in today's episode, but we can now uh, reveal what we'll be discussing today. We'll be discussing new managers, big news in the past few weeks, and even have a small dose of transfer talk that will satisfy uh, your cravings. Without further ado, let's get started and talk the new managers. In total, uh, there are two teams that have new managers. There is a third club who are on the lookout for a new manager and as of yet are yet to appoint him, but we'll get to uh, that team in particular later on. But the first team we're going to start with, due to being alphabetically, is Blackpool. Uh, they appointed Simon Grayson as their new manager on Saturday afternoon. Uh, it means he returns to Bloomfield Road uh, for a second stint just 11 years after leaving the club to take over at Leeds. Uh, they've got a new owner at Blackpool in Simon Sadler, who, of course, has took over from the Oyston family. Uh, Terry McPhillips was uh, Grayson's predecessor. He left, citing that he didn't real, really have a desire to be a full-time manager under the new ownership. Uh, Grayson's CV in League One is pretty good reading as well. He's managed Preston to promotion. He managed Blackpool out of this division. He managed Huddersfield out of this division and has even had spells at Sunderland and Bradford and even Leeds. He managed to get out of this division uh, in 2010 as well. Um, Joe, let's start with you on this. Obviously, it's come as a bit of a shock that McPhillips has left. Um, to everyone outside of Blackpool, but it seemed like the chairman and the owners knew about the the McPhillips situation. They've quickly got a successor. Um, you've got to say very much it's a very good appointment to replace Tim McPhillips, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think Grayson at this level has, as you, as you just said, um, gone through all of his achievements there. Like, there's not they, um, that many managers that can boast that sort of record in one division. Like, you could say he's. Um, somebody who's not quite achieved what he should have done at the championship when he's gone up there with clubs like Leeds and Blackpool in the past and Huddersfield, he's sort of been swiftly been sacked and he's not quite done uh, anything above League One. But I think at this level, you know, he's, he's one of those managers that we, we talk about. You know, we talked a lot about Jenny, uh, Kenny Jacket on the podcast last season and his sort of record at this level, people like Steve Cottrell and those sort of guys, those sort of old school managers that know how to get teams promoted out of this league and into the championship and... Yeah, it's a great appointment, but I can't help but feel a bit for Terry McPhillips, to be honest. I think he did do a good job last season. And I think the sort of reaction from Blackpool fans is that, you know, thanks for steadying the ship, but it's sort of time to move on and get a um, a better manager in who can sort of lead us through the next few years and hopefully get us up the levels and back into the championship. And, you know, it was quite an interesting um, statement from McPhillips saying he sort of never really intended to become the manager. Um and I sort of feel for him. I think there should be a lot more gratitude towards McPhillips, I think, from Blackpool fans. I think most of them do have gratitude, but... I think not enough for me. I think he's done a great job 
uh, in the short term for the last season, taking over in difficult circumstances with um, obviously uh, the manager going uh, early on last season, Gary Bowyer, after one game. So he's done a great job. Um, but yeah, I think uh, in terms of replacements, Simon Grayson is is probably the best they could get for, um, for a second stint as manager. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Alex, uh, Joe made some, some very good points, in particular what he said about McPhillips and him not wanting to be a manager. Whilst he's obviously happy that he doesn't have to have the responsibility of being number one, do you completely agree with what Joe's sort of saying about how the Blackpool fans maybe might, you know, should give him a bit more credit than what he actually does deserve now he's left? Yeah, I think Terry McPhillips actually does deserve quite a lot of credit for the way he took on Blackpool last season because he didn't, he picked up the reins um, just one game in, so it wasn't really like his squad of players to choose from. And the thing it was just um, what what Bowie had assembled, which don't get me wrong, was um, a pr- pretty neat and tidy squad. But as we all know, Gary Bowie is a great manager to have under um, difficult resources. But he he, he did um, utilise um, th- those players quite well. He um, leaded them to a, uh, a top half finish. I'm sure before the start of the season, not many Blackpool fans were disappointed by that. If you said they're gonna, if they were told mm. they're going to finish in the top half, and he's he just, as Joe said, he just showed that he um, steadied the ship before um, they can probably get a manager in Grace now. Is without much doubt in my mind, is way more tactically flexible than what McPhillips is. Grace and at this level is pretty much unrivaled for for um, the amount of promotions he's got. And I think it's um, a very, very um, good appointment for Blackpool, especially. Usually, I'm not a massive fan of um, managers returning to um, a club once they've had one star. I think you usually just come back sentimented, like Darren Ferguson and Peter. But I think that's just a bit. For sentimental reasons, I don't think he's necessarily the best man for the job, but I think it's a bit different with Grayson. I think Grayson probably is as good as Blackpool could possibly get, and I think it gives him a great chance to do something next season. Yeah, yeah, you're right in saying that. I mean, obviously, let's talk about the season that's upcoming. Obviously, Terry McPhillips did make a few uh, acquisitions. Uh, Sully Kai Kai, Jamie Devitt, Adi Yusuf, Ryan Edwards uh, all came through the door at Bloomfield Road before he obviously uh, abruptly departed. Um we know Grayson is a very tactically savvy manager at this level. Do you think that um, he can bring in the players maybe to try and take them up that extra level? Do you think that maybe he's going to have a year to just try and um, get the team to, to keep being solid and then he can try and go for it again? It's very interesting um, what how, how Grayson approaches this, isn't it, Joe? Mm, yeah, I think... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit surprised about the sort of timing of this as well because obviously, as you mentioned, like... Blackpool have actually done um, some quite good business, I think, early on in this window. And it's quite interesting they've sort of allowed him to do a few signings and then gone for the replacement. But I think Grayson will go in um, with a, quite a lot of his business already done. Like, you, you look at Yusuf, you've got a new number nine. They've got a new winger in uh, Sully Kaikar, which I think is a great signing, actually, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I think it's about building on what um, McPhillips has already sort of established there. Um, and yeah, just taking them to the next level. I think he's the sort of manager that can do that because he has got promotions at this level before, um, from this level before. And McPhillips maybe is a bit inexperienced, and that worked against him. Um, I think you know when play, um, managers, sorry, um, like Grayson are available, you know you're always going to be tempted, I think, to go there. And um, and yeah, I think it's just about taking Blackpool to the next level. Now they were sort of top half last season. I think they're going to be. I think the, the the target from the club, obviously, the new owners coming in as well and everything getting back on a bit more of a level playing field off the pitch is, is definitely going to push for the playoffs, I think. It's a bit of a feel-good factor now, Blackpool, isn't it? For so many years, it's been sort of um, not doom and gloom as such, but 
there's been such a, a such a dark cloud hanging over the, the club because of the Oysters, right? There's obviously a new owner come in. There's fresh um, change. It's it's basically the rebirthing, isn't it, of a club essentially, Alex? Do you think that the appointment of Grayson back at Bloomfield Road, where he was so successful first time round, you know, got them out of League One in 2007. He guarded them successfully to survive, win the championship in his only season. Do you think that that's just going to add? to the feel-good factor that is already, um, you know, at Bloomfield Road this summer? Yeah, it's probably the most exciting time for Blackpool fans since they're in the Premier League now, this sort of um, period with the club, because um, they've, they've managed to shake off the um, the Oystons at long last, and now they've got a manager who they've had many good times with in the past back. And, yeah, it's, it's just really exciting times for them right now. And even the signings that they're making, um, like Jamie Devitt's a player I like quite a lot from Carlisle. He's a bit of... Um, Got a bit of flair about him and a good playmaker going forward. And as is um, Sonny Kolkar as well, um, just a tricky winger to have. So it looks like um, they're going to be set up really well for next season. It's, gonna, it's, a great, um, it's a great time to be a Blackpool fan right now, which hasn't been said a lot over the last six or seven years. Absolutely. We now move on to uh, Berry, who've appointed a new manager in Paul Wilkinson. He replaces Ryan Lowe, who uh, left to go down a division with Plymouth, um, which obviously... Uh, judging by what Ryan Lowe had been saying in the past openly about Berry, it was not a surprise he left. Um, this, to me, seems like it's the poison chalice for Paul Wilkinson. Uh, it's his first full-time role uh, as a, at a football club as a manager. He's been caretaker at Grimsby twice. Uh, he's been caretaker at Northampton and even uh, was caretaker at Truro uh, all the way down uh, in non-league football. Um, it almost just seems that they need the cheapest option to, to get in as manager, just somebody just to, to coach these players. Um, it is a shame for Paul Wilkinson because he's immediately going to get judged based on the situation at Barry. But we, we talked about it on the, the Twitter page, didn't we, that it's a very strange appointment that they've made. Joe, what, what do you actually make of it now that the dust has settled and it's been a few weeks since he actually walked through the door? Do you, has your opinion changed or has it just, if anything, got worse? Well, it's not really a lot that Paul Wilkinson can really do at Berry under this current situation because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, it, financially they're in turmoil, they're losing players also on a daily basis. Um, they've basically not got a squad, they can't sign players. Like, what is he supposed to do? Like, how can, you know, it's all right being a good coach, but you've got to have the tools available to you to actually be successful. You know, he hasn't got the tools at his display, he hasn't got the players, like, and off the pitch is complete disaster as well. So I think, you know, there's no really other manager. Like, you talk about Wilkinson being a strange appointment, like, who else would take the job uh, at this point? You've got to you've got to ask the question. Um, and I think it is sort of a, an indicator really where Barry are, that they're getting a guy from Truro City into, the, into try and sort of save the day. It's, it's, a, it's a bleak situation for Barry. Um, and it's a shame, really, because you look at the how last season ended for Berry um, celebration, and and they had a uh, an exciting young manager, um, a good uh, attacking squad um, that can play good football, and now sort of in the space of a few months, um, due to the financial situation of the club, it's sort of all fallen apart and crumbled um, around them. And um, I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about Paul Wilkinson. Um, ugh, the only thing I know is he's got literally the worst comb over in the world. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's literally appalling. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, so he did that, that appalling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, moving, moving. <laughs> Edit that out. Um, he's, he's, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's sort of Bury at the moment. You know, you, you think, if, you know, if you want to put a bet on um, a club to go down, I think, you know, you, it's, it's looking like Bury are going to be the clear favourites to, um, to go straight back down to League Two. Alex, I mean, the situation with Barry, obviously, they don't really know about their future every day. It's almost like they're, they're facing a fight every day to keep afloat, it seems. Um, he's got no chance, really, of bringing players in. Obviously, Joe mentioned they're losing players. They've lost some very, very good players, obviously, haven't they, which was obviously expected. He's going to probably have to look to the youth team. So, he's basically got the team what he's got now for at least a good few months. Um, how, how difficult is this situation for him that he's actually took on. How, how difficult is it for him? Honestly, it's, in my opinion, it's an impossible task to try and manage Barry right now. It's just The club's in absolute turmoil. The, the, the owner hasn't paid the players, was it, since like February or something? Yeah, four months. I heard. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. So the manager's probably not going to be getting paid for the work he's doing. And if he is, I bet it's going to be absolute pennies. So it's... It's just such a it's just such a shame to see a club like just be in this situation. It's a decent football club, Barry's in a, a part of like the in the northwest um sort of Manchester has a few clubs like Watchdale, Accrington, just sort of like good clubs and Barry is one of those uh, like and it's in the same bracket, so just a good honest club, but it's just having its heart and soul out of it at the minute. Just as um we're talking about Blackpool um being in the best place they've been for God knows how many years. Barry are now in the worst place that they've been for God knows how many years and Back to um, Wilkinson, I honestly, I just, like, I don't think it's, I'll be the only one saying this, I just think Barry an absolute right off for relegation right now already. I mean, before ball's been kicked, they're one to three. I've never seen a team ever been that, so that, they're one to three to go down, so I've not seen a team ever be that short odds to get relegated. And they might even have points deductions to battle with as well as all this. So I just think he's got an, an absolutely impossible task and there's, um, in my mind, there's no way that they're not going straight back down to lead two as rock bottom. Mm. Well, it seems to me with Paul Wilkinson, you know, one thing I will say to him, he's got my deepest sympathies because he's, he's just, you know, as I said earlier, he's taken on the poison chalice. Uh, yeah. I'm repeating myself. Um, and it's a shame for Barry because they've got promoted out of League Two. Um, and it's always nice. Just you get a tidal wave of, of, of that promotion feeling and, and energy from, from the season before. And you, you take it into the new season, you, you, you feel so much more positive. I mean, but, you know, all three of us can can obviously mm. describe that feeling. Obviously, we've had the promotions over the last couple of years, but Barry, I think, are, the, are the, just the team. It's just completely overnight and in, in just gone down to pieces and just mm. completely falling <clears throat> away. So, so tough mm. times there. But yeah. uh, With Wilkinson, by the way, just, just one point, is that if he does do a reasonable job, he might get a bit of credit for doing something in a sort of tough situation. Yeah. Like, remember when Appleton... Joel Parkinson sort of thing. Yeah, and like Appleton, as well, Appleton as well, when he was at Portsmouth. Remember that? Like, he got a, yeah. a good job on the back of, like, doing, like, sort of... Mick Harford st- and Luke as well, when they yeah, real Yeah, yeah like, it, you, can, you can get maybe a decent job on the back of it if he just does a reason. Like, he could go... Probably going to go down. Nobody's expecting Barry to stay up next season. Just like when Portsmouth had Appleton, nobody expected them to stay up. But if he can just keep the club going, that might get him um, enough... Uh, that might build his reputation enough to get him a decent job on the back of this. That's 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 another thing um, to consider for Wilkinson. But yeah, I'm not expecting much from him. The third and final team we're going to look at now is Doncaster. Unlike Barry and Blackpool, they are yet to appoint a new manager. But the chief executive, Gavin Baldwin, said that they were interviewing candidates this week. Um, according to Skybet, uh, this is the official list of names that they have. David Flitcroft, the former Mansfield 
Berry uh, and Barnsley manager is at five to four. Michael Appleton, who Joe knows very, very well and was just speaking about, is five to two. Darren Moore, who actually played for Doncaster, is eleven to two. Uh, Anthony Hudson uh, is ten to one. Stephen Robinson, who's a Motherwell manager, is on the list. Roy Keane, of course, uh, left Nottingham Forest to resume his uh, managerial career. He's on the list at around eighteen to one. Um, Joe, obviously they don't have a new manager yet, but out of those names, who would you seriously recommend uh, to be the new manager to replace uh, Grant McCann, who, by the way, left to join Championship side Hull and Yorkshire rivals? Um, So back to my question, Joe, who would you want to replace Grant McCann out of the list of names that was just mentioned? Uh, honestly, I don't. My choice wouldn't be any of them. Like, if you wanted to pick one out of those, out of those, out of that list, I'd probably say Appleton because I know what he's about and I know that he's a a good manager at this level. But for me, I don't know why um, they aren't looking at someone like Michael Flynn from Newport County, who's a fantastic young manager. I don't know why more clubs aren't looking at him. Like, he is somebody that I think would fit the role quite well in terms of you know young manager that's sort of just left in Grant McCann. Um, so that'd be probably my choice out of that list. Um, like Flickcroft being the favourite, like I, I just, uh, how is he the favourite? Like he, he's he's literally in no uncertain terms. Like uh, uh, this might sound a bit harsh, but he bottled promotion at Mansfield last season um, and got it, sacked as well. And got sacked. Like he, he's not that great a manager. Like realistically, and um, you speak to any Swindon fan as well, which uh, well, I don't know anyone <laughs> wants to do that, but but and if you if you do, then um, you'll know that he didn't do a particularly great job there either like I don't think he's a bad manager but at League One level a side that finished in the playoffs last season in League One you're looking at somebody who's just been sacked from League Two I, th- I just think you know there are be- there are better managers out there and Appleton um, you know he's obviously going to bring an attractive style of play I think he builds his sides around sort of um, developing young players um, I think that kind of fits them all a little bit at Doncaster but they've got a rebuilding job because they've, they've lost a couple of players I think Marquis is going to be difficult to keep hold of they've lost Tommy Rowe to Bristol City as well in, in recent days. Their manager's gone to Hull, so it's going to be... I fear this could be tough times ahead for Doncaster. I really do. Well, obviously, the theme that's sort of here when you see those listed names or hear those listed names in this case is, is that they're fairly young managers. Um, and in particular, you talk about it there with the youth development, obviously, with Michael Appleton. Michael Flynn, I think, was a very, very good shout um, from you, Jen. I think that's the road that Doncaster are looking to go down. They've lost, obviously, as you said, a couple of players, you know, um, Danny Andrews gone to Fleetwood, who was arguably yeah. one of their stronger players last year. Uh, Tommy Rowe uh, is going. It's led to believe. I'm not actually sure if he's, he's gone. gone yet. But... Went a few days ago, I think. Yeah, so obviously, uh, excuse me to say, he's obviously gone. Um, Alex, Joe talked about it there, that, that list, and, and brought a name out that wasn't mentioned. Who would you um, appoint as the new manager? Would it be someone new? Uh, would it be someone young, sorry? Or would you go for someone experience in this situation and can just handle what could be a, a tough situation that he comes into well i think we might as well rename this podcast michael appleton fan club because i'd 100 <laughs> look to giving it to michael appleton i think because after reading um, an interview after listening to an interview which um george Ellick did with appleton before um he was very adamant that the club itself is the most important part about taking a managerial job it's not about um uh, necessarily how much he's getting paid, what division he's in, what the players like. It's just about like um, the, like the, the sort of like the, it's a club in a good place because obviously as Joe mentioned earlier, he took Portsmouth and um, Blackburn jobs when they were not like in a in a good place at all. And then he got Oxford um, 
when Oxford just um, got had Daryl Eels at the wheel to take as chairman, and then he um, sort of used like the feel good factor of that to get Oxford um, back into League One when they've been um, pretty stead in League Two for a number of years. So I think um, it, Doncaster are a club which are which are a good club. I think they've got um, they've got a decent chairman. They've got um, they're they're a family friendly club. Like you don't really they're not the sort of um, they've got a good reputation within um, League One to be in. Um, like the best could like cater for the for away fans and stuff, and it's just um, I think it's be, listening to what Appleton said to George Alec, I think Doncaster would tick pretty much all of um the boxes what he's looking for for a job. But then when it comes to on the pitch matters, they played um a good brand of football under Grant McCann. I think Appleton would be able to continue that. I think Appleton's got great connections um in the transfer market to be yeah. able to um bring players into a place the names which they've lost and might be losing like. We spoke about we spoke about um, um, Tommy Rogo, Marquise could be off as well. Kirby Kane's gone back to Liverpool. Malik Wilkes, Wilkes gone to yes, Barnsley. gone to Barnsley. I think Appleton's got great links to be able to replace those with um, <coughs> players as good, if not better. But as he showed, he can do at Oxford. I think it'd be, I think he'll be a great fit. Whether I think they'll actually go for him is another matter. But I think on paper, Appleton would be an absolutely perfect man for to take Doncaster forward. One one thing that is very interesting about this situation is whichever manager comes through the door, they haven't got a lot of time to prepare. Let's just remember the season is just under a month away. Um, and Grant McCann leaving, I think, is throwing a real serious spanner to their plans. I think, um, you know, when a manager leaves so close to pre-season, it really does dampen things. And he even made um, three signings before he actually left keep mode. So that kind of throws things up in the air. So, that, that that's something as well that a few managers might have to take in charge. That the job is arguably going to be a lot harder because they're walking potentially, you know, halfway through this case in pre-season and they've got to prepare the team in, you know, two to three weeks for the new season, trying to get them to play the way that they um, style their football on. It's very very interesting, isn't it? Wh- whichever manager takes that job, would you would you agree with that statement or do you think that um, yeah. that's not too much of a problem? I'd agree with that. I'd, yeah, definitely. I think it, that that's that's why it's key for Doncaster to have somebody in similar mould and similar fit to Grant McCann because you don't want to be ripping it up and starting again at this stage of this of this what, pre-season, um, uh, this close to the season. You want somebody who's going to sort of continue the philosophies of McCann. And I think, yeah, I think Appleton's probably a good um, a good shout um, to to do that really because he will um, continue that brand of football and. Um, and obviously, I think he's, as, as um, Brum mentioned, he's, he's very strong in the transfer market as well. Um, he, he's very capable of finding hidden gems on cheap deals. And I think that's what Doncaster need. I think they did that sort of last season with a couple of loan players they had. Um, uh, so I imagine, you know, Appleton would be in a similar fit. So, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's a good shout. And um, But it is key. Like, this disappointment is important because with the, with the players that Doncaster have lost, they need to get this right, otherwise there will be a, um, a bit of trouble next season because they've lost a lot of good players. And as you say, Marquis Figo's, you know, it's it's looking like a tough season ahead for Doncaster unless they get this appointment right. So that's enough about the managers. Very good points raised, uh, as always. So we now move on to the big issues, and this concerns Wickham Wanderers. And uh, Alec Bruce's ears are flickering uh, <laughs> as, uh, as uh, we speak. I can imagine. Of course, as uh, some of you may know, Wickham fans certainly will know, but other members of teams who don't support Wickham will know that they're getting new investment, new well, Orleans-based uh, owner. Guaranteed, well, yeah. But well, it's uh, sorry. Excuse it's me. It's a deal in principle. That uh, New Orleans. Um, uh, businessman Rob Kuhig 
who was a, a former prospective Yeovil town owner, but the deal collapsed in May, is uh, reportedly uh, putting investment into Wickham, Wander- uh, Wickham Wanderers. Excuse me. Uh, just a bit of background on uh, Rob Kuhig. He's 70 years of age, uh, born in 1949, New Orleans-based, runs a legal firm. Uh, he, what, he, he wanted to be the mayor of New Orleans in 2006. He owns uh, a baseball side in the city uh, and is a former radio talk show host. Alex, obviously, we know uh, Wickham's not, finan- it's not financial issues, but struggles to um, really compete in League One. Obviously, Joe rightly mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago, the uh, fans club together to put some money towards Angel's budget. Um and it's always been a club that's had to essentially penny pinch and, and deal with constraints. Hearing this news that there is hoping, without any problems or glitches, going to be a new investment and a new shareholder. How much great news is this for Wickham supporters, but uh, in general for Angel from the team as well? I think it's um, absolutely massive, really, for the club to actually finally get a bit of um, investment and a bit of backing financially because it's just it's well known within this level that Wickham have got by far and away the lowest budget in League One. Maybe Accrington's um not too too di- not too distant from us, but other than that, I think there's not anyone we can really um well as maybe Barry and Bolton. But anyway, back to the point that we've got such a small um budget, this would a takeover would actually give us a fighting chance of being able to compete and actually be sustainable at this level because. I think at the minute um, on the pitch is we're just we're treading water every season and without investment it'd just be can we keep our heads afloat there's never really anything like long term to look to it's just each season at a time can we stay up as soon as a bigger club comes in frames which inevitably will happen at some point then it's um, going to be an even more of an uphill task to stay up without any investment but getting a bit of money in will actually be massive to take it um, well keeping Wickham Wonders moving in the right direction which is um been something that Ainsworth has carried out over the last six or seven years. And I've been reading um, the statement which um, Trevor Stroud, our chairman, made. And he, um, he, sp- he speaks really well on it, to be fair. He says um, that Rob Coohey's given a genuine interest for um, giving the club a good role in the community, which is pretty much exactly what um, Wickham, Wickham Wanderers which are all about and want to do. Like, it's a bit of a family club. It's, um, um, well, it's well-liked in the area. And it's, I think... He sort of learned perhaps from mistakes the way he approached Yeovil because he was saying he wants to make Yeovil the most exciting experience in the EFL. But correct me if I'm wrong, there's absolutely nothing exciting about Yeovil. It's in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it's just one of the... Well, they're not in the EFL. <laughs> you know, you, when, he, when they were in the EFL, there's just nothing exciting about the place or club Yeovil. Perhaps he hadn't done his research completely before. Perhaps he was a bit um, naive when he was um, saying those things. But it seems as if he's, um, this Kuig bloke's... Um, sort of like learn, not maybe not learn but sort of educated himself a bit more which basically is learning isn't it but anyway no, um, and he's um it's exciting to see what he's got to say if um if Trevor Stroud believes he's a he's um a man which we can um we can take to the trust to have a vote on to see if um people want him as a majority shareholder then I'd, I'd trust Trevor Stroud and what he says he's got the best interest of the clubs in heart and I, and I hope that this actually does go somewhere because it's something which we've needed for such a long time. And if it finally happens, it, it could, in my opinion, it can only really be a good thing. Joe, let, let, let's go on to you, obviously, because you, you can bring a bit of a neutral dynamic to things. When, when there's a prospective new investment or shareholder potentially coming into a club, there's always going to be that argument for good and bad. Um, but in this case of Wickham, it's surely, you know, overwhelming good, good, 
you know, news, isn't it? The new investment. I mean, they've always, yeah. as I said, they've had to scrimp and scrape whatever they've had thrown their way. I mean, if, if Wickham could get it, it could just take them up just that extra couple of notches, you know, couldn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, there's a, there's only so long you can keep on sort of um, defying the odds and, um, you know, you look at Wickham over the past couple of years and, you know, by getting promotion into League One and then staying uh, in League One, they've they've really beaten sides with much bigger budgets. But there's only so you can keep doing that. Um, and obviously, Brum mentioned, you know, the possibility of Ainsworth leaving. I think Ainsworth is absolutely pivotal to, to Wickham uh, 100%, 100%. moving forward. Um, you know, if he goes, then I just don't see that many other managers out there that um, are going to be able to work under these constraints and still be successful. So it's important in the next couple of years, you know, to, to get that investment because at the same time, there's only so long Ainsworth is going to keep on um, wanting to work with these budgets. You know, he's going to think, well, actually, I've, I've sort of earned my stripes in the managerial game. I want to go and manage um, a team that can maybe challenge at the top of League One or in the Championship. You know, that that's, that's only natural. So... I think it is important for Wickham to to get um, some investment and to really start being a, a competitive club with a bit of ambition um, to move higher up this uh, up this league. Or they risk um, potentially losing um, the good work that they've sort of built up over the last couple of years under Gareth Ainsworth. Uh, Alex, obviously, the, the the biggest benefit to this will be the manager if obviously everything goes smoothly. Um, as we know, obviously, it's, it's been mentioned before, Ainsworth has, has worked under serious constraints ever since he became the manager. At, at Wickham Wanderers, um, he's obviously a manager that is has you know dealt with all these problems for sort of you know six and a half years, seven years. Um, do you think that it would change him as a manager if there was a, a bit more cash flow coming into the club, or do you think that maybe he would sort of venture out a little bit and maybe try and get players that he would never have possibly would have gotten, um, you know, with, with the with similar situations to what it is now? Um, I don't think he'll turn into Steve Evans overnight. I mean, he'd have to eat quite a substantial amount for that to happen anyway. But um, I think he won't. He, he won't go splashing the cash around straight. I think he's um he's a very level-headed, sensible man. He's got his feet firm in the floor. He's a sort of bloke who doesn't really get too high with the highs, doesn't get too low with the lows. And I think I think he's he's got his head well screwed on more than anything. And I don't. I I can't imagine it would change him too much the way he approaches the transfer market. I mean. It gives us more um, fighting power to be able to sign these free agents and um, pay some loan fees and percentages of um, wages when pe- when players are coming in on loan. But I don't think he'll be um, splashing transfer fees about. I think he'll just. I, 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 the way I, I think he sees it as like a massive risk. Since he's been um, Wickham manager, he's only actually paid for two players, which, albeit that's not necessarily by choice. And one of those players, I think most people know, was um, when Michael Harriman joined for supposed fee. I think. Most people sort of clocked on that was part of the deal when Matt Ingram went to QPR. So, but wouldn't even not sure I'd really even count that. So, technically, he's only paid paid for one player in seven years of management, which is absolutely crazy. If you find me another manager who's done that, I'd be absolutely amazed. So, I don't think he's going to sort of like think all oh, money. Let's just splash it about. Mm. But I, I do think he's going to um, keep the sort of um, philosophies like within the transfer market that worked so well for him, like in, in these last um, seven years since he's the manager. And yeah, it's just going to be so exciting to see what um what he can actually do with a bit of cash because he's kept us so competitive on sort of shoestring budget for so long. When he's got a bit of money, it'd be interesting to see um what 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 sort of things he does and sort of names he can attract. He's uh, 
so getting players like Jason McCarthy to sign for us um, when we've got pretty much next to no money is fantastic. Like I never thought we'd be able to sign him on a permanent deal. It'd be great to see what um, other names he could attract um, when he's got <clears> when he's got a bit more competitiveness to rival other teams for contracts. Well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he actually signed Jason McCarthy on the back of the Luco Nine money, which just goes to obviously it's money that has been generated from transfer sales as well. So he's obviously had to yeah, go exactly. out and, and, and replace him. So, but moving on. Away from Wickham, of course, Barry, as we know, are in financial turmoil and don't look like they're getting out of it. Uh, it looks like Bolton, in their case, is going to be light at the end of the tunnel. Um, there's been significant news in progress in regards to new owners. Of course, it's currently uh, being run by administrators. Um, as a consortium named Football Ventures uh, are alleged to be the preferred new owners. Of course, there's still a lot of legal uh, technicalities and uh, obligations they have to get through in order for the takeover to be completed. But obviously for Bolton, they have a squad at the moment of around eight to 11 players, which obviously um, need, they, they have to fill with the youth team. Obviously, they are under embargo, I do believe. Um, Joe, let's go to you first. I mean, for, for, for Bolton fans, they don't really care about, you know, obviously signing to this current instance. It's just you know, making sure the club has a future and hearing that there's real significant progress in these talks. It must be such uh, positive news in, in, in this instance, surely. Yeah, 100%. I think it's been a long time coming for Bolton. Um, you know, this, this uh, you know, Ken Anderson in charge, I think it's been a pretty uh, shambolic regime. Um, you know, financially, it's been, it's been, again, another club that, you know, going through real bad problems financially, not paying the wages and, you know, a lot of um, decent players have been allowed to walk out the door for free uh, over this summer. Um, I believe David Wheater is going to be the latest one. I think he's set to sign for Kilmarnock. So they've got to bolster the squad. They've got to they've got to, to get players in, um, and they need to. As you say, it's important for their club to have a future because you know there were times last season where it looked as if they might not be there might not be a Bolton Wanderers. You know, there were real concerns that they were going to get liquidated and might go bust. So I think it's you know I don't think. Um, Bolton fans were getting too excited that I think there'll probably be um, there'll be there'll be trepidation and uh, until it's absolutely confirmed and I think when that is that you know hopefully you know they can start get moving in the right direction again but it will be a, um, inevitably a tough season in League One with the points deductions that are gonna um, that, that are there um, and obviously you know they're gonna have to sort of cobble cobble a squad together as well. Obviously that, that, that there's that um, problem as well and you made a very very good point about. Um, there'd be obviously trepidation and they'd hear these links and, and, and feel a little bit, um, they don't want to get too excited. Alex, it's happened before with Bolton, hasn't it? Where in particular, a few months ago, the former Watford owner, Lawrence Bassini, was um, very close to taking over. And then at the 11th hour, um, it was confirmed that he couldn't take over the role due to EFL sanctions and, and all the, the uh, obviously problems laid to that. Bolton fans, I think they've almost been dealt a good hand and then it's been you know, two bad hands in, in one, so to speak. Um, is it very much, as a Bolton fan, if you were in this situation, would you just think, don't read into it, or just very much don't get too excited because they have had the disappointment as well from that? Is that a good thing to, to look at it from that angle? Or? I think they've always got to be um, optimistic when something like this comes out, but it's important to not um, think a deal's done until it's like officially confirmed about this. It's just... If you if you just sort of like jump the gun and get a bit a bit too ahead of yourself, you can just you're not really bracing yourself for disappointment. And I, I do I do hope it sorts themselves out because um they definitely um don't deserve to be um run ragged up 
They have been, as, as you were just saying, like there was a serious, serious possibility that Bolton Wanderers may not um, have been existing, um, even for this season coming up, which would have been nothing short of a, of a tragedy, really, to see such a historic club go down like that. I mean, they're four times FA Cup winners, albeit in the 20s and 50s, but that's they've still got major honours to their name. They've um, been in Europe, not so um, distant. Yeah, 12 years. I mean, 12 years ago, they were drawn with Bayern Munich. Like, you know, you yeah, couldn't and, ask for a more bigger contrast between the two sides a, over that. Absolutely. There's, it's, it's, it's a club which has got such a proud, proud history and um, a, a good fan base, which has just um, been absolutely... Um, just rinse clean at the minute by um the situation in the behind the scenes and I, I, I hope that they do manage to um break free of all of it and um be able to start building a, a team and keep and keep the club going for um League One next year. But I don't I don't think they'll um they're not gonna be a berry. I think I don't I can't I'm not writing them off before a ball's been kicked. Mm. especially with my team's wicking but when they open day, usually you've got a rough idea of oh is it a tough game, is it an easy game is that a good, is that a good game for the open day? Honestly, I don't know if Bolton's going to be a, a tougher game on easy games. They've, they've got no players, and they, 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 we don't know really what's going to go on about them. So I, I can't, I haven't really managed to work out yet if I think that's a decent opening game to have. As obviously, you want to win your um, first game, get off to a good start, sort of set the tempo for the rest of the season. I honestly, I, I just don't know how likely it is that Wickham are going to win that game because it's just impossible to call anything with Bolton at the minute, really. Well, one one thing I, w- I want to actually raise before we actually move on away from this is how unbelievable Phil Parkinson has been. He has stayed loyal with that club. He could have easily have jumped ship and, and walked out, but he's stayed very loyal. And I think he's going to go down for a long, long time with Bolton fans. He's gone up in my estimations as a man and as a manager because he has stayed through them in the serious tough times. How much credit does... Does he deserve, Joe, for, for sticking by this club in the worst of times and, you know, very much helping out and knowing what the situation is, how much praise does, does that man have when he is getting most sympathy from, from most football supporters all around, the, all around the country? I mean, he deserves credit, but Bolton fans still hate him, so... <laughs> I mean, yeah, but, I, I, you know, to me, it must be a bit hard to, to hate someone. I mean... How, probably, no, he, no, he, he, he probably kept them at League One in a good situation. He's kept them up in the Championship for a year, which arguably they did defy the odds last season. Fell to pieces, but that's not his fault. So really, I think it's a bit harsh if they hold a grudge. Yeah, no, 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 you are completely right. To be fair, like, it, like last season, he was getting um, a lot of stick. But I imagine like Bolton fans like uh, are starting to realise the guy is um, is definitely wants the best for the football club because he is sticking by them. Like, it, I don't think it would have like. Nobody would have sort of been too surprised, or um, you know, would have looked badly on him if he'd walked away from the situation long ago. But he stayed loyal to try and rebuild the club. And I think, you, yeah, you do have to give him a bit of credit for that. But look, football fans, when when you support, when your club is your club and you're going through bad results, the manager is always the easy target, isn't it? Like that is always going to be the oh, way. Yeah. Um, and Parkinson did get it um, a lot stick last season, I believe, from Bolton fans. But I, I would hope, actually, like, I would hope that. They they do realise that he is um, he's put it up with a lot to try and you know keep um, Barry, um, stop Barry Bolton's head above water. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. Do you have anything else to to, to raise on the issue before we uh, uh, move away from from talking about Bolton? Mm, not not so much really. Just that I hope it all gets sorted out from them and their fans and their. Um, fit to go, well, not really fit to go. I think they're ready for the first game of the season, so nothing gets um called off a wicked one or anything, but yeah, I just hope it all gets sorted out for them. 
Yeah, well, we do hope that uh, the situation is resolved at Bolton. And obviously, as well, uh, Bear, of course, two clubs really uh, falling on hard times, of course. Um, with the season just under a month away, you hope that things will get sorted out, as you said. But anything can happen uh, between here and the opening day of the season on August the 3rd. We're going to move on now to talk about transfers. Uh, of course, we did a transfer special in the last podcast. Um, and we, we dissected very, very well. Uh, me and Joe, each sort of side's business and who's been the standouts. There's been few good signings since. I'm going to go to you first, uh, Joe. Who do you think, mm. since, oh. we've, um, <laughs> since we've obviously done the, the, the Transfer Special podcast, there's obviously a few transfers done and done, which one stands out for you the most and uh, which sort of big reason why? Well, I mean, I got a lot of um, stick actually on Twitter for um, from Lincoln fans um, after Jack Payne uh, signed... Um, because I was sort of a little bit, I mean, alright, that's definitely one of the big deals that have happened. In fact, a couple of deals that Lincoln have done. Like last, when we were speaking on the podcast, they haven't done any signings, I think, since. And then they go and we, sign Joe Morrell, like. Yeah, you know, yeah, and they've signed that. And that yeah, yeah, they did. And, and they've signed two more on top of that now as well, and uh, in Payne and Grant. So they're really starting to get um, moving now, Lincoln, um, in the transfer market. And um, I don't know, like, uh, we were speaking just a little bit before the podcast off air about, like, Grant and Payne sort of being quite similar players in a way and whether I mean I think we described them as luxury players and I think you know is that really in, in time with the with the Lincoln way and I think I said in, in, in a tweet um, I'm not sure whether Payne will fit the st- um, style of football I didn't just mean that in terms of long ball I do think they are predominantly quite direct Lincoln um, but I also meant that as in I think they all they have to be hard working high pressing and also, I don't know, like, there were times um, for Oxford when Jack Payne just went missing and was anonymous in games. I don't know whether that's, you know, how that's going to go with Lincoln. But at the same time, it's he's almost due, um, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of time for him to kick on in his career and, and, and have a really consistent season because he's not had one yet. So um, it will be interesting to see how he does. And Grant as well, I think Oxford were interested. Um, I imagine a couple of other clubs were as well. And that's a, on a permanent deal, quite a cheap fee, I imagine. That's not a bad bit of business. But again... Um, you speak to Mansfield fans last season, and they were, you know, they were. I mean, and they weren't sure, you know, whether he was somebody who worked hard enough for the team. So it's interesting those two um, deals, um, but they're two that stood out for me in terms of being interesting. Definitely, uh, it's interesting with with, with Lincoln and, and players like Jack Payne and George Grant. You made very very good points there, Joe. Um, Alex, a player like George Grant. Let's look at him in particular because. Notts County, you know, Notts County in 2017-18, he was their player of the season. He was arguably their most standout player in, in which they fell short and trying to get out of League Two. Went to Luton for six months of this season, didn't set the world alight, got sent back to Forest, went to Mansfield again, didn't really do a lot. He definitely has a point to prove, but do you think he's gone to the right club in Lincoln with the right management in the Cowley brothers who could easily transform Grant into, again, a player that gets talked about amongst the um, fans in League One. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm, yeah, George Grant, for me, he's, um, he's the sort of player which I think has got a lot of talent. Though. He's got a lot of natural ability. He's a very, he's a very good player on the ball. He's um, a set-piece specialist. But I, I, I just got to echo what Joe said. I'm, I'm just not sure he's cut out for the, for the Lincoln way. Um, if you'd be being, I think they've got a reputation. Their team's been very hard working, getting in the opposition's face, making it difficult for them. And I'm just not sure that's um, George Grant's style of play. But to me, the fact that they are signing both um, Grant and Payne that could suggest that the Cowley brothers are looking to perhaps adapt their style of play a little bit more to the league. Because there's there's no doubt about it, the league one's much more um, 
football based than League Two, which um, their style of play worked so effectively in for two years. Like you've got you've got to be able to get the ball down and play a bit more to compete at this level. So perhaps they're just sort of um, looking to sure maybe um, not necessarily change the style of play altogether, just but adapt it to be able to um, be 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 better with the ball than um, they have been before because. I, I I don't think they're like a just a massive route one team, but their strengths do come from being I literally what Joseph being direct and like getting in the opposition's face and stuff. And I think the fact that they're signing but two players, which are you could argue are fairly similar, suggests that they're perhaps looking to break away from their um, philosophies, which they've had over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean the standard of the division is is going uh, up and up and up. I mean, oh. Say next for a player I think is a very standout signing, and that's Paul Coops going to Fleetwood. Um, mm. We talked about before, didn't we, Joe, about how Fleetwood look? Uh, I think Alex, you've mentioned it as well that there could be a seriously dangerous team next season. Josh Morris and Danny Andrew walked through the door before they made another signing in Jordan Rossiter, which was done yesterday. But Paul Coops for me is a, is, is a very good signing. He um, has played for Peterborough at this level, Sheffield United. Uh, I think I believe he's actually played with Preston. At this level, he's a very good midfielder, hardworking, good on the ball, um, good strike from distance. He played, you know, a good amount of games with Derby in the Championship. So he's a very experienced player in what is a very young Fleetwood team. I think it just shows the the pull and power that, that Fleetwood have got. There. They are an attraction. Um, you know, all these players they've brought in are free transfers. It's not like they spent a lorry load of cash. Let's, uh, you know, let, let, let's, uh, you know, take that into consideration. But he's a very good player. I think a lot of teams that have been Sif and Roundham in the division, and I couldn't imagine that Fleetwood, you know, were the only team that, that, that were after him. I can imagine some of the bigger boys, you know, Sunderland maybe might have, you know, had a look at him um, potentially. I mean, like, you know, I don't know, but, you know, a player of that that quality and that calibre and the CV boasts um, just just shows how good he is. And I mean, Chris Wilder even said, didn't he, that it's a shame he's gone, but we need to progress. And he had a nasty leg break, didn't he, a couple of years ago at <coughs> Sheffield United when they just got in the championship. What do you make? Of that signing, you two. So, you know, whichever one of you wants to jump in first, obviously be my guest, what would you make of that signing? Because I think it's a very top, top signing. And in general, Fleetwood's business is, is very, very good so far, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, you, actually, you know, you, I remember looking at the retained list of Sheffield United, actually, when uh, it was announced that Coots was leaving, and a lot of Sheffield United fans were disappointed that he was going. And that's a side that's going up into the Premier League, like, and he's coming down into League One. I think that's a... Uh, a bit of a sign of of um, of the quality that might be coming down to the division, and um, and and you know the fleet would have at their disposal next season. And I think um, again, you know, on paper they look strong next season for Fleetwood. I think we we've spoken a lot about them potentially being you know a side to look out for next season. And again, their signings just keep on coming, and they they look like a really strong outfit next season. I I, I really fancy them to do very very well. Um, Coots, I think, is somebody that will add a, a lot of class. Um, a lot of ex- top-level experience, and um, he's been out, got out of this division before, I believe, with Sheffield United. Um, he's a bit of a club legend there. I think it'll be a very good signing for them. Um, they've still got to um, get another centre forward in, I believe, Fleetwood with Chad Evans um, uh, going. Um, as it stands, not coming back. So uh, there's still a little bit of work to do for Fleetwood, but I fancy him to do very well. I think it's a really, really good signing. Alex, would you uh, disagree with that, or would you just, you know, add something to what Joe said about? Well, I, I completely agree. I think Fleetwood. I I called it um, pretty much midway through last season. I think Joe Barton, once he finds his feet there, he's sort of going to build something like which could be successful at this level. And that looks as if that's exactly what he's going to be doing. The signings of Josh Morris, 
Paul Coates and then Jordan Rossiter yesterday. That just signals sort of the sort of like level of ambition which um, he's being funded with to be able to um, take the club forward. And I, and I, and I do think they're going to do well this year. I'm not, I, I wouldn't say they're like nailed on to finish in the top six or anything, but I think they're going to be very, very competitive at the top end of the table. And if they do um, replace Evans, I know Madden, Paddy Madden signed a new contract um, a couple of months ago, so they've got him tied down. If they get another striker in, and, um, which um, would re- replace the goals which Chad Evans scored last year, I don't, I don't see any reason why they can't finish in the top six and really um, have a crack at promotion, which would be crazy to see Fleetwood Town in the Championship. Without a shadow of a doubt, the smallest club to ever be in the second tier of English football. It'd be Honestly, it'd be completely... It'd just be remarkable the fact the club can rise from from the shadows of non-league and in about ten years find their way to the championship. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be unheard of. Very much a similar story to Burton Albion, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'm going to stay with you, going to stay with you Alex. Um, obviously, I've asked Joe the question: Who's the most standout signing since we did our transfer special? Is there anyone else that we haven't mentioned that uh, you think is a, is a very strong signing for a team? Um. Well, I'm I'm not sure um, when he joined, but I think. I think you've got you've got to really um, you've got to look at I think Sean Raggett at Portsmouth I think the fact they lost um, Matt Clark to um, Premier League Brighton and then you thought that's going to be massive um, shoes to fill a player of that calibre leaving then the player goes straight in pretty much again Sean Raggett in to replace him is a um, very tidy bit of business with Kenny Jacket and as what you two said in the most in the, in, the, in that podcast you you like our oh, Sunderland are definitely going to come into this transfer market at some point and sort of like spend big and get some headline names and I think they're sort of um starting to do the bit of business now of um Colin Pocock and Lee and Lee Burge signing already they're two sort of um sort of like this the best route which Sunderland could go down for their transfers I mean letting Catamol go that letting Lee Catamol go will free up a lot of wages. And they're sort of um, the most successful signing last year. A lot of Sunderland fans say was, was Luke Nine, sort of like a player's improving at the lower levels, and they've sort of got that hunger to want to play for a big club and get them um, get them promoted. And I think they've been linked with George Dobson from Walsall, very much fits that bill as well. He's a, he's a young centre midfielder. He's um he's he's young, hungry. He's very talented. He's um been Walsall's captain despite the fact he's only 21, so it shows he's quite mature. And I think it's so that's another very good addition if they do get that over the line. And I think it's the sort of way which Sunderland are going to have to go down to to um, balance the books of like the players like Aidan Aidan McGeady and um, Brian Oviedo, the sort of players who've played in the Premier League. They're on bigger wages. They're sort of like their bit, and for want of a better phrase, sort of like their um, sort of like luxury players as such. And then they they get some hard working um, young talent from the lower leagues who want to be there, know what it means to play for a club of that size, know what it means to play for the badge in front of all those passionate supporters. And I think that's a, a decent way to go down for um, Jack Ross to get his business done to see if they can get him out of the league this year. All right. Well, that is all we have time for on this week's League One Lowdown. As ever, thanks has to go to Alex for uh, your brilliant input, mate. Thank you very much. Uh, not a problem, mate. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And also, thanks to go to Joseph Trone. Likewise, uh, thanks for your input and uh, good opinion, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. I'd also like to publicly apologise um, for my comments on Paul Wilkinson's hair. I, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think you might, I don't know if you're offended anyone, but uh, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, remember, as ever, uh, the podcast will be out later on uh, today. Uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes and Acast is where we uh, base it on. Follow the Twitter at L1Lowdown to see all the latest information that has come out of England's third tier. We'll be back uh, this month 
for our big season kickoff where we preview every single side and uh, see who the big hitters and the big uh, failures could be in the division for the upcoming 2019-2020 season. Uh, from all of us here at the League One Lowdown, uh, have a very good week and we'll see you soon. And uh, take it steady. Goodbye for now.